Welcome to Game Over Montreal. It's the last time of the season, and what a last time it was. I'm going to quote a friend of mine uh, who used to work for me way back in the day on Habs Eyes on the Prize. Uh, Namiko Hitatsubashi says, That was a fun way to end a season that mostly wasn't. And I couldn't have put it more perfectly than that. What a way to end the season for the Montreal Canadiens. But let's welcome in my guest tonight, Laura Saba, another person who I have worked with covering this team for a very long time. We've been doing this for a decade, Laura. And oddly enough, a decade, I have scored 10 in honor of Guy. It's, it's all full circle. <laughs> this game, um, you know, it's fun to see Carey Price smiling and it's great to kind of see as as other teams head into the playoffs it's great to see that the canadians are they care right like they care again they're having fun again and we're gonna have fun again because of it all right unfortunately you were muted so <laughs> let's try that one more time <laughs> this is the second time i'm You've rehearsed this it now, now. <laughs> this is the good one <laughs> This is the good one. I can't even remember what I was saying. All oh, so we were talking about how perfect it is that it was ten years and Guy Lafleur, ten goals, all of that. Um, honestly, I think that the Canadians gave us a fantastic last game with you know Jordan Harris's first goal, Cole Caulfield getting his first NHL hat trick, you know, all kinds of positive things. Carey Price getting his first win of the season, and it's going to make tomorrow's locker room cleanout day quotes so much better, uh, less bitter, less disappointed, and it, it gives something. Uh, for the fans to be excited about and to hope for for next season. It didn't end with a whimper. It ended with a bang, at least. Yeah, I, I know we talked last episode, uh, Laura, about, you know, you and I coming on here and trying to put a bow on the season. I didn't think the Canadians would do the same thing. And <laughs> <laughs> Frankly, the Florida Panthers did help them out a lot tonight, uh, you know, sitting most of their star players and they did not play well <laughs> at all in front of their third string goaltender who also did not play well at all. But I don't want to take anything away from this Canadians team because everything has already been taken away from them this year. It's been absolutely brutal uh, from start to the middle. And then they had a brief bright spot and then to the end almost. So the fact that they were able to close up this season with back-to-back -back wins and still secure the top draft lottery odds. I don't know if it could have ended better, you know, and the things that happen in this game, you know, there's there's things like getting the 10 goals and the crowd chanting Guy, which is, you know, it's such a Montreal so special, you know, nowhere else in the league, nowhere else could even, you know, like yeah. Toronto yeah, could never. <laughs> Your favorite team could never. I'm sorry. They couldn't. <laughs> and this is the thing. It's something that like people make fun of the Canadians for is like, oh, they have a ceremony before every game. Oh, you know, people say they're the loudest fans. in the Well, they are the loudest. <laughs> like we are the loudest fans in the league. And I think, you know, it was very fitting that on the last game of the season, 
they did a pregame ceremony anyway. It was for, obviously, he was a longtime equipment manager. I believe he's also uh, an Olympic hockey uh, gold medalist, right? He was uh, on those Team Canada teams. He was the equipment manager there, or uh, at least somebody on, on the... But he's got a decorated career, understood. It's 35 years. It's a lot, right? It's like, it's a huge tribute to him. But they still did, did a pregame ceremony that was more meaningful and more emotional than what the Rangers did for Guy Lafleur. <laughs> I just kept watching that and just being like, you know, Guy Lafleur is like, like he's such an icon. And, you know, it's interesting in that the previous home game was that Guy Lafleur game because you could see like the difference in emotion from the fans. The fans will go with what the Canadians offer them and they offer them history. They offer them excitement. They offer them, um, this, like this kind of idea of a glory that could still exist, right? It's a new NHL. This team hasn't been good in decades. Uh, there's only a couple of Stanley Cup final appearances or conference final appearances, uh, you know, since, since I, I would say now 30 years ago almost. So I feel like bringing that back is kind of at the same time as this young team is starting to be built or rebuilt or retooled or whatever you want to call it. It gives fans something to be excited about. We don't know how it's going to turn out. But at least this gives us the idea of hope and optimism. Yeah, it 100% does. And I love what you said there that the Canadians fans, they react to to the way, what the Canadians give them. And it's true that this place can be a horrible place to play. If things are as hopeless as they were in the Ducharme era, I know there weren't fans in the rink when it got to the worst, but... You know, it can be terrible. They'll boo you. They'll boo your power play if it's as bad as the Canadians power play has been. But when you give them something special, even in a season like this, they got a standing ovation for the last like two straight minutes of the game. It they are a special group, you know, and I it is a weird thing to watch it. And, and see this season the way it's gone and still see people be positive. And I understand it. I think it's entirely justified because you see what's coming. But it is incredible, honestly. And it kind of brings to life that vibrance that the city has in the spring. Right? And it, it obviously doesn't have a playoff atmosphere. But it felt like like as much as you could get to that in a season like this right and we talk about the positive things that we've had that have come from this game there's already like four or five people in the chat who are spamming it saying that on rds martin martin st louis said he'll be back next year no so, way yeah <laughs> I so that. <laughs> we all knew it was gonna happen right like nobody <laughs> believed that he was gonna leave but now we know for sure Marty St. Louis is going nowhere. And I think I can speak for pretty much every Canadians fan and say that that's <laughs> fantastic news. Uh, another thing that people were posting that uh, Marty St. or uh, under Marty St. Louis, Cole Caulfield finishes the year at a 49 goal per 82 game pace. Wow. Ooh. I just got goosebumps. Ooh. I'm literally like, look, I'm getting goosebumps. You can see hair standing up on my head, uh, on my, on my arm. It's honestly the, the one thing that, you know, we talked about, you literally said the words so much was taken away from them this season. I think Cole Caulfield's rookie year was taken away from him, yeah. but we talked about this on one of the other times I was on this show and I hope that he doesn't take it as a form of bitterness, but takes it as a form of a lesson that he's learned. And one of those things that, you know, how Martin St. Louis plays when people didn't believe in him or, you know, like he has that little bit of a chip on his shoulder. 
I really hope that Cole Caulfield takes this as that chip on the shoulder and just only builds up on that. It's sad for the player, but at the end of the day, I think at the end of his career, he's won so many things. What he's going to look back on is, did I win the Stanley Cup or not? Right? Yeah. 100%. And to to like add fuel to the fire here for Cole Caulfield, because I, I, I tweeted during the game that like he had one goal when Ducharme was fired. And I'm, this isn't to s- saying it to trash Ducharme. It's not what it's about. It's about where he was as a player. One goal. And in 37 games, he, he finished the 21. season as the leading scorer for the Montreal Canadiens. 22. He's, he's got 23 total now, right? Yeah. He he's one behind that game. He's one behind Michael Bunting for the rookie scoring lead all season. Wow. Like. And he's 20 years younger. <laughs> that <laughs> um, but that you know that's the thing is that you can't like you look at the you look at his demeanor right you look at the way he dresses even even literally the the suits that he chooses are different right the smile on his face when he signed that lease they put it on instagram he and nick suzuki went to ikea together i want to talk for a second if, if you'll indulge me about their friendship for a second but if you just look at the way he shows up at the rink the way he talks to his teammates the way he talks in post games the way he behaves like literally like you're watching you know the the the, the more daring fashion choices, I would say, uh, than he had before. Just all of that together, you put it together and you're like, this was a player that was not in a good place mentally, psychologically, whatever, that was, you know, causing him not to be able to perform. perform. And now he is. And it just it just bodes well for the future, right? He's going to be loved in the city as one of this, this team's potential stars. He's going to be taken care of very well, right? With all the resources the Canadians have. So I can't wait to see what his potential is. Yeah, there's a, I, I haven't seen the gift. So somebody sent it to me on Twitter. There's a post, person posting that Nick Suzuki's eyebrow raise on Cole Caulfield's second goal will be a gift I'll use forever. Please send that to me. I haven't seen it. I, I assume that Scott, Scott made it. Yeah. I also retweeted on the lockdown Canadians account. And I said this friendship with tears. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, It's, it's adorable. It's one of those things where we talked about it again. The last time I was here is like, when you have that relationship with a player where you've got really good chemistry on the ice, you've got really good chemistry off the ice, you become BFFs for a while. Like those are the kinds of player. Those are the kinds of friendships that fans love to enjoy in addition to the players. And they bring out the best in each other and they both kind of seem like they have in terms of their accomplishments they have ambition and they have a good head on their shoulders on that front right and the city will often you know chew up players and spit them out I don't I wouldn't say they're immune to it because they're still quite young and they're they're going to be superstars in this city but they do seem like they have the ability to keep their eyes on the prize ah I like that (laughs) I thought about it I was like keep the eye on the goal and then I was like no I'm going to say prize I'm going to say prize Bringing it full circle. We're just like callbacks all over the place tonight. (laughs) Uh, Jonathan Lord says Montreal crowd can be harsh because previous management tried to sell them. The team was supposed to be competitive in a rebuild mode. I'm pretty sure the crowd will be supportive like tonight. I think there's there's truth to that. But also, I feel like the part of the harshness to the Montreal crowd is they expect a certain standard. Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean wins. It means. Uh, like a, a focus right yeah. we, we people in montreal want to see the plan and i think that under this management group so far anyway we're still in the honeymoon period things can go awry 
But right now, we can see the outlines of a plan. We can see the pieces of the future now. Nick Suzuki, great. Cole Caulfield, great. Alex Romanov, I don't know if he's necessarily part of the core, but he's taken steps, right? Like he's, I think especially the last 10 games defensively, really great from Alex Romanov. Not great with David Savard. Don't love it. Not great in the <laughs> offensive zone, but you can see he got it. the He got the Jacques Beauchamp award, so... <laughs> there you go <laughs> he's the unsung right but no it's true it, he hasn't been getting a lot of accolades in terms of points or goals or whatever but he's been putting in so much work and that i think is really important he's been eating up a lot of minutes he's been very very physical he's been getting in people's faces which i love whenever a canadian gets in somebody else's face i love it but whenever some other player gets in a canadian's face <laughs> that's it they're dead to me brad marchand <laughs> oh my god uh, Kay pointed out that uh, they're doing a post-game interview with Pierre Gervais right now, which is fantastic. I love that they're just like, they put him <laughs> out on the bench, you know, and he he's out there, out front and center. The fact that they did this for him as well, in a way, like you could tell that the players care about him. That Talk about it, like Mike Johnson talked about on the break, broadcast, the rigors of the travel schedule that we always talk about with NHLers. Yeah, well, they land and then they get a massage and a nice a meal and the equipment managers land and then they go wash your underwear and get your equipment <laughs> for you and sharpen your skates and they continue working for the entire rest of the day. So talk about an absolute grind. 35 years that Pierre Gervais put into that job. Incredible. And a name that I think Canadian, I think this is the thing about Canadians fans as well, is that everyone knows the name Pierre Gervais. Like right. probably part of that is from tenure for sure. And the fact that he's known as like the best in the field and he's worked for team Canada, all that. But we also know like Pierre Allard, the head athletic, sorry, head athletic, head athletic trainer. Training. And it's not just hardcores who are covering hockey for a living. Like you and I, Laura, it's like your average fan on the street. They know who Pierre Allard is, right? Like it's crazy how in depth this market knows this team. And that means something. I think seeing some of that at the end of this nightmare season for guys like Suzuki and Caulfield, it just hammers home how much hockey means here and how big they can be. Like we think Caulfield's big now when he scores <laughs> 40 goals next year, it's going to be a whole different ball game. It's going to be so exciting. I just want to go back to, to Gervais for just a second. I think one of the things that, that, for me is is so crazy is that I don't I'm sure you have I've only ever been in a locker room after a game once and I will never go in there again imagine <laughs> dealing with that stench every day and after the players you talked about like you know they land and then their their workday starts after the players are done they have to be there until one o'clock in the morning drying that equipment and washing it and all I can't I yeah, no. literally like <laughs> I have so much respect for that because there's no way I would do it. That's one of the reasons I'm glad I'm not actually like a mainstream reporter is because if I have to go in there, I, I don't think I'll be able to handle it. No, it, it's not. It's not fun uh, being in <laughs> the smell, <laughs> the ocular or uh, olfactory attack that happens when you enter. It's not even you don't even have to go inside. You get within you just like walk 10 by feet it. and it yeah. wafts out. It's bad. It's bad. It's really bad. It's grown men playing a very high intensity sport. It's, it's very sweaty and gross. And then you have guys who haven't changed their equipment in like 20 years. Sidney Crosby. Yep. I think Jason Spezza is the same. He has like an old tattered chest pad and stuff. Oh. Just gross. But uh, yeah, it's it's 
it's something. And, you know, all the respect in the world to Pierre Gervais. I uh, I know he was a guy who talked all the time about, uh, not all the time, but I remember, I think it was on 24CH back when that program was airing, and he was talking about, like, the different habits that players had and how, like, uh, P.K. Subban would blame everything on his skates, right? So he... <laughs> Pierre would like sharpen his skates and Subban would go out and like uh, try to deke someone out and fall down and go back and be like, my skates aren't sharp enough. And Pierre's like, all right, here we go. Sharpen the skates again. <laughs> Sharpest skates in the league. And knowing every player's tendency and how they want their skates sharpened, it's such a complicated job to do all of that. And he's the best in the business for a reason. You know, uh, a guy who aired every single night for 35 years. That's, that's a rarity. And, we talk about leadership a lot of times in terms of leaders on the roster. There's leaders in terms of staff as well. And I think that you could say that Pierre Gervais was absolutely that for the moment. Yeah. And I thought it was a really nice touch for them to bring out the first captain that he was ever, uh, you know, I guess the equipment manager for, and then the latest one. And I think with the Shea Weber thing, I know it's been a hot topic in Montreal for, a reason that I won't even, I don't even want to grant that, right? Like people are like, why wasn't he at the tribute? Well, he's in town now. And in all likelihood, he might be here for the funeral, right? That's, Isn't yeah. that more important than a night at a game, right? A week ago, like to me, in my mind, I, he doesn't have to do anything. And I just, I, and obviously we don't know the reason he was here, right? Like we don't know the reason Shea Weber's in town. It might be one of those NHL um, medical examinations that they keep putting him through in order for him to be able to stay on the IR. I don't know. Like it's just, it's, it's so appalling to me the way that the NHL has been treating this whole thing. Uh, but at the same time, like he's here now and like, we can just stop chattering about how he wasn't at that game. Legends were at that game, right? Legends that played with Guy Lafleur. Shea Weber did not play with Guy Lafleur. And as great as he is, he's not a legend. So I think it was fine that he wasn't there at that game. And I'm sure in all likelihood, he's in town right now. He's going to be paying his respects to Guy Lafleur and possibly going to the funeral. I don't know. But that wouldn't that make more sense than being at the game last week? Yeah, I'm, I'm of two minds on it. Because on the one hand, the people who were bringing it up, for the most part, were the section of media that are mostly trolls. Yeah, like the disingenuous discourse yeah. mongering. But on the other hand, I I look at it and I'm like, technically, he's still the captain. He's still drawing a million dollar salary. It would have been nice if he was. It doesn't rise to the level of scandal for me that some people are trying to pretend it is. But to me, I think it would have been nice if he would. have. I think it just would have been nice to have him there in the crowd to sit with the legends and and show some continuity. Right. It, it's not right. just necessarily the legends of yesteryear that cared. So to me, it's like a missed opportunity for Shea Weber. We don't know why he wasn't there. He could have been busy doing something else that he couldn't get out of. We don't know. But I think there's a lot of talk about like we need to hear about why he is not around the team more. It's like it's because he's on LTIR. Injured players usually aren't around the team. And the other thing is. He is retired. Like, people need to accept that. I know that he's not technically retired, but he is 100% retired. He's never coming back. If he was coming back, he wouldn't be, you know, hanging out in BC. He'd be in Montreal training and rehabbing his injury. He's not, he's not coming back again. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. it's over. Yeah. And I, I absolutely agree with that. And I also think that 
like I said, it's like, it's really unfair the way that the NHL is kind of treating this because like, you know, all the other, like Marion Hosa was allergic to his equipment and he got to, you know, he got to do this exact same thing scot-free. Right. And for whatever reason, they're coming down on this, this particular player who, you know, it's killing him not to be able to play hockey right now. Right. And that's, I just, I, I think it's unfair. Anyway, the way that the way that the whole discourse came about, I think was very disingenuous is what I'm going to say. Yeah. And for, for people saying like uh, he is still the captain, it's like in that's Bergevin's thing. Like they could have stripped him of the captaincy after the management change, but then it just seems petty. Yeah. And, know, it, it and, just, and targeted. Right. And and this management team, I think, is really, really concerned with optics and yes. class and lo- and looking like, a, you know, a good place to play. And the other thing is, I think. The Canadians need to navigate this whole situation carefully because whenever a player is on LTIR for the rest of their career, the NHL isn't just going to sit there and say, it's fine. There are, as you mentioned, those examinations to see if the player is actually too injured to play. They're going to be sniffing around to see if things are on the up and up. They don't want to have Weber's exposure too high, right? And strangely, I think it's not even really for them. They're doing the Nashville Predators a favor because right. and, Shea stands Weber. Right, and Shea Weber. Yeah, he's getting a couple million bucks a season or whatever. Six million bucks left he's owed. But the Canadians, if Weber actually retired and put that salary off, you know, like if he took it off the books, I think the Canadians are would owe something like 750k for the re- remainder of his contract. Scott looked it up. It's it's and if it's next season it's like I think six something. Yeah, six, so it's not that yeah. much. But the no. Predators, I believe would have at least one season of something like 20 million dollars. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's a penalty. And yeah. Yeah, I feel like if that happened, the NHL would stop it. But you then think? again, they're letting it happen to the Wild. So the Wild <laughs> are going to get hit with like a 13, 14, and $14 million cap hit over the next three years, thanks to the Parise and Suter buyouts. Do I feel bad for them? No. No, not no. really. No. <laughs> but also, it is really dumb, considering yeah. all those contracts were signed before, before the rule. Yeah, before the rule came in. And also, the Shea Weber one specifically was an offer sheet. Yes. So it wasn't even the Nashville Predators that did that. Yeah, they were just trying to keep their guy, right? It was a also a super predatory offer sheet right as the lockout was happening, if I remember correctly. And it was like, if there was a lockout, he would have been paid in cash and bonuses, something like $20 million before he played a game, <laughs> which it was, was yeah. absolutely wild. Yeah, the Philadelphia Flyers, sometimes not a nice organization. Some people have even <laughs> called them bullies in the past. <laughs> And at that time, I oh, believe the Predators were nearly insolvent as well. So it was a big deal. Uh, yeah. Caulfield speaking right now. You're going to have to put you on pause. I understand it, Maximus. Go listen to Cool Caulfield. Come back and we'll talk about it more. Um, Jordan Harris scored his first goal of the season. I got so emotional over that. I don't know why. Like, I was kind of like, you know, like a mom friend. I was like, that's so great. It's so good he, for him. He's been so good. Like and he he's has so much better than I expected too. Yeah, like I expected because a lot of Canadians fans hyped him up like crazy, right? And then I talked to scouts and they were like, nah, third pair at best. Like kind of struggles with the puck, mostly a defensive D. And I think his puck skills have been pretty undersold. 
and he didn't have a point coming into tonight. He'd had a few uh, goals that were created due to his plays that he didn't get a point on. But uh, finally, he gets the point, and it was a, a nice little deflection on a really good play by him. And he had, once again, a very good, solid game of good puck handling and solid play throughout. I'm, I'm just really impressed with the kid. Yeah, and I was watching on RDS. I, I know you watch it on TSN, right? Um, I was watching it on RDS, and they spent a little bit of time. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was before or after he scored, but they were talking so much about his poise and his decision-making and just how like smart and mature he is with the puck. I think that, you know, that doesn't jive with the puck handling criticism that we're getting or we were getting prior to him making the team. And I feel like it's entirely possible that that could have been his scouting report from when the Canadians drafted him, but it's been a few years now he's played in the NCAA. He's seen, you know, playoff action in the NCAA. He's played quite a bit and defensemen sometimes, not always, sometimes they're artificially held back, but sometimes they do take a little bit longer to develop. And so maybe this is just him. That skill was always there. He just needed to, to be able to control it. And now he's controlling it so well that he's controlling the play when he's on the ice sometimes. And I think that only bodes well for the Canadians, right? Like you need that guy that can control the play. That's not on the opposing team. Yeah. hundred percent. Also, I'm just going to point out because I'm not going to do an, a one last game over this season without annoying senators fan. Well, Caulfield more goals than Tim to Tim Stutzla. Not only that, does Shane Pinto have a hat trick in the NHL? No one knows who Shane Pinto is except for senators. <laughs> Shane Pinto does not exist. I'm sorry. But uh, yes, once again, I will reiterate, Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki are better than any forward that the Senators have. (laughs) I mean, it's right there in black and white. It's literally there in the record. You're not lying. No, it's 100% true. And also Tim Susilo dives. Anyway. (laughs) That's also 100% true. But you can't say that because then you're bullying him. This is true. It's uh, it's he's anti- sitting here watching game over right now, <laughs> listening to what we have to say about him. Just crying. And he's feeling bullied. Right. He cares what we say. Right. Yeah. Tim Stutzla definitely cares what we say. <laughs> and that's why the Ottawa Senators will never win anything. Because Tim Stutzla can be broken by me. Yes. Well, you know what? Good for them tonight. Uh, the Senators also won their their final game at Josh Norris, 35 goals. uh, Brady Kachuk, his first 30 goal season. So there's some positives there, too. We'll we'll let them have that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, uh, Jordan Harris, really impressive. You know who was flying to end the season? Mike Hoffman. Right? He he still had his like one play a game where he just makes the stupidest pass possible. But (laughs) man, this guy... The last few games, I know they haven't been games that mattered, but he, I feel like the effort's been there under St. Yes. Louis, and yeah. he just has not been able to connect on plays. Last five or so games, dude's been doing great. Has a little goal streak going to end the season. Point I don't streak. think it's enough to want to keep him around long term, but if he can play like that next year, the Canadians could actually trade him. Yeah, for sure. And this is the thing that I feel really bad about is that you know, for a long time, he, he just wasn't really, you know, doing anything. And then he started trying, but things weren't going his way. He was like the victim of a lot of bad luck, particularly that defensive play he had against the Boston Bruins the other day that turned into a penalty shot that I still feel is really, really unfair because I thought that he made a great play. I literally 
was about to applaud the play and then, uh, and then the, the Bruins were awarded a penalty shot. But a lot of the time, like, I feel like his demeanor is also different on the ice as well. And he is trying. And, and it's like you said, he's still making those mistakes that look glaring in, in context, but I've been impressed with the way that he's played. And I think that I, I, I think that he, it's not his fault, right? Like he was put in a situation where it wasn't the right fit for him and it wasn't his fault. He was given a contract. It was probably the most lucrative contract he was offered when he was sitting around. Or maybe he looked at the Stanley Cup run and was like, this is the team for me because a legitimate Stanley Cup contender with which wasn't going to lose most of its players that were, you know, that, that, that got them that far and wasn't about to have a terrible season under a terrible coach. I feel like that would have been a fit for him. But the Canadians that he ended up starting the season with just aren't or weren't. Yeah, 100%. if that makes sense. Yeah, he's he's a good, good team player in that he needs to be a depth guy in terms of scoring. Right. He can't be a guy who you have on one of your top two lines. that You expect to drive scoring plays. That's that's not his game. He's a guy that people forget about. And then, oh, wait, he's there and he has the puck and he scores a goal and he'll get like 28 of those in a season. Right. Um Another just back to Weber for a second, because there's a comment here. Uh, Bradford Northern says, I get your point, but it's not a matter of stripping him. It's Weber who should resign the captaincy because he prefers to be absent himself from the public captaincy responsibilities. Listen, I I understand the the point that you're getting at, but I feel like we're treading a line here of. Like optics, meaning a guy is a bad leader. And listen, I am one of the only people in Montreal media who's not hesitant to criticize Shea Weber. The guy came into Montreal and media rolled out the red carpet as like, they like got to sell this trade. They got to carry water for the organization to keep their access at a hundred percent. And Shea Weber was not criticized for like five straight years, despite some of that time not being very good overall, good player. But some of that time not being very good. And anytime that I pointed that out, people got very, very mad because I said the other guy was better. Frankly, by the way, he was over that stretch, even though he's fallen off hard now and is probably at best a third pairing defenseman. But I am not going to question Shea Weber's leadership. And the reason why is look at what happened when they lost when in the he Stanley Cup final. Well, not just when he wasn't playing. Look at the Stanley Cup final when they lost, when he was absolutely fucking devastated. And the reactions of everybody on that team, they loved him. They loved him. And there's very few people who are universal in a locker room. Locker rooms don't actually all get along kumbaya like Bergevin wanted to sell. Winning teams have spats. People in that room loved Shea Weber, and that's true here. It's true in Nashville. It's true on Team Canada. I have never heard of an NHLer saying a bad word about him. So I understand the idea that you think that it's Weber's responsibility to abdicate the captaincy, but I feel like that line of thought starts going down a rabbit hole that doesn't make any sense from what we know about him as a person. Right. I, I would agree with that. And I also just want to remind about when they were down 3-1 to Toronto. And I swear this isn't just so I can bring that up. I swear. <laughs> um, when they were down 3-1 three, down, three, to Toronto and they were talking about how the guys in the locker room, like Corey Perry, Eric Stahl, and Shea Weber, 
they were vocal. They, they talked to the team. They motivated the team to get back into, you know, uh, I guess a win streak that ended up eliminating the, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. But not only that, they went on to sweep the Jets. They went on to beat the Vegas Golden Knights. And I think, you know, that aspect of it cannot be discounted. But he's in such a dangerous position right now because lots of people look at his leadership ability and they think that he should be around the team. Maybe they should make him an assistant coach, but it's so dangerous to do that because you fall into that trap of the Nashville cap recapture penalty, right? Like they can't admit, fully admit that they know he's retired. All they can do is just say that he can't play and look at these, look at these medical results to prove it. He's in such a precarious position. And I kind of feel that way about Shea Weber as well. I thought the trade was bad at the time. I warmed to the player. Like I I took the attitude that, you know, it's done. I've been bitter about it all summer. Now I'm going to try my best to appreciate Shea Weber and what he brings to the team. Um, And I thought it was more the mentality that resulted in the trade than the actual trade itself that I was upset by. Obviously, when anytime you have an older player that's, you know, that's played quite a bit and it still has a lot of time left on his contract, you always stick with the younger player. Like there was no reason to do that trade. And the reason that they sold it was that locker room, blah, 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 they needed to make a change and all of that. But they took a bunch of skilled players, shipped them out and brought in players that didn't, you know, that weren't the fit for, for who they had. They essentially switched out a roster for a, a less talented or older one. I didn't like that mentality, but Shea Weber is a person I never had a problem with. And then I would criticize his usage. I wouldn't criticize his play. I would criticize his usage. The guy was clearly playing through many injuries, which later turned out to be true. I was right. Right. I would criticize how much the, the coaches used him and I would get harassed on the internet for that. Yep. Like, I will never forget that because like Shea Weber is a person. And I guarantee you that if he knew that you had this cult worship of him, he would be uncomfortable with that. Right. Like, and people just treated him like that. And I was just like, he's just a guy. He's probably a great guy. No issues with his leadership, no issues with any of that, you know, and even his play, like he was trying, he was just too old and injured to be out there for 30 minutes a night. That's the only problem I had with him ever. And people just like, like, like it was one of the creepiest harassment um, I have ever experienced. Like as a person who's been writing about this team for 12 years and, you know, has been, you know, kind of in the, like writing publicly about it for 10 years. Like, and it was one of the worst experiences that Scott and I have had just because we said the team played him too much. So like, I feel like there's a little bit of sensitivity towards Shea Weber, but all of those things are not his fault. Did he ask to get traded to the Montreal Canadiens and become their captain? Absolutely not. He was probably really happy in Nashville. In fact, it seemed to me like he was a little bit shocked when that happened, right? Same thing with P.K. Subban. He was clearly hurt. He was stung by that trade. Neither of them asked for this, right? The opportunity came along for the GMs to do this thing. They plunged these people into these situations. And then Shea Weber tried his best to rise to the occasion. He didn't always play well. That's fine. Yeah. I think he's it's still okay a great to say leader. That. Exactly. And, you know, and it's and okay to say that he didn't play well. doesn't mean he's a bad defenseman. doesn't mean he didn't earn his like gold medal at the Olympics or whatever. Like his, did he ever get an Norris trophy? I feel like he was always. No, robbed no, he came close. Always, I think yeah. the closest he came was when Carlson won in 2012. Right. And I felt that he was robbed. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, I, I do remember that because I was a fan of his before he came to Montreal. And I think it's okay to just be like, he wasn't always great. I think it's fine. But now it's turned around so that people are absolutely pillaging his leadership. Pillaging? Yeah. Pillar, pillaring? I don't remember. Pillarying. Pillarying. There you go. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> leave the guy alone. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, 
let him yeah. stay in BC and hopefully he'll show up at the funeral and people will be quiet about that part. So. Yeah. He's gone. He's a Montreal Canadiens alumni. Uh, his contract is on the books. It probably won't be for very long. I'm guessing they'll find a way to trade it this summer, but uh, he was a captain of the Montreal Canadiens. He will always be that. Right. And right. he had some level of success here, even though it was sporadic and, you know, the fact that they even got into the playoffs was due to COVID, but uh, they still made hay when they got there. So let's I think we can let the Shea Weber thing rest. It's <laughs> it's the next moment, right? It's it's the next the next. It's thing. the Nick Suzuki moment. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nick Suzuki is going to be the next Montreal Canadiens captain. It's basically 100 percent chance. You know, I was writing down the scorers, Laura, as the game was going on, and then I just stopped because there was too many. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I can't talk about all of them, right? No. But I do want to talk about Brendan Gallagher finally getting an, getting another goal because he's a guy who's had so much go wrong this season. Like we talk about how there's been a nightmare season for the Canadians in isolation. It's been an even worse nightmare season for Brendan Gallagher, right? He's gone from over the last three years the second best even strength goal scorer in the entire league, next to Austin Matthews, to having one five goal it's brutal but i was really happy for him that he got one tonight i feel like his play lately has been exemplary he's doing brennan gallagher things he's driving play on his line and one thing that i've noticed that's back in his game that wasn't there in the first half of the season when he was playing hurt and he's probably still hurt now because he's brennan gallagher is he goes into a puck battle in the offensive zone and you watch his positioning, where the puck is, where the defenseman is, and you're like, well, there's no way he's getting out getting out of that with the puck because it's just he has bad positioning, he's on the wrong side of the puck, and you know, Brennan Gallagher's not that fleet of foot, and then somehow he gets that damn puck. And he <laughs> he's been doing that lately, like the last 10, 15 games, and I'm just I'm I honestly really encouraged going into next season that he's going to bounce back. And if the Canadians are actually able to ice a competent power play, not even like top of the league, but like 20th to 15th in the league, I think he can get back up to 25 goals next. I think so too. I think Brendan Gallagher isn't finished at all. I do think that there's a lot to be said for Philippe Danon. Um, obviously, yes, you know, that that loss was a big one. And I don't think people realized how big until after it was gone. People were like, oh, he can be replaced. He was not replaced. Um, and uh, and to an extent, Tatar as well. I do think that it was the Philippe Dano that was the driver of, of that mostly. I I like Brendan Gallagher on the ice. I feel like off the ice, he's probably kind of a shithead. Like, I just get that impression. <laughs> like, well, I don't so, know some I'm of the right things he said on Twitter make it kind of <laughs> hard to. I try, I try to ignore it just because if I get into it, I'm like, I can't like any, yeah. <laughs> anyone in the NHL. Right. There's very <laughs> few <laughs> that have great political oh, the Very opinions. few people, like even like actors or whatever that you like, you really like their opinions or, you know, but at the same time, I hope I didn't mute myself there. I hit my space bar by accident. Um, at the same time, I like what he does on the ice because he's very intense. And I think the Canadians need intensity. I think a lot of times when they were losing under the Ducharme uh, coaching uh, era was 
we would say like they lack intensity, they lack desire, they lack drive. And, you know, the reason that people call him the heart and soul of the Canadians is because he provides an example. Like people would talk about how he was going to be the next captain of the Montreal Canadiens. I don't think that that's the direction that the Canadians want to go in, but I do think that he's definitely somebody to have around. And if he's contributing, it's only going to make it better. You know, like there's some, some things that he brings, which I like, like uh, he was the most efficient goal scorer in the league up until this, the season, I think, or something like that. I remember uh, somebody was talking about, you know, about that. And it it is truly like, it's amazing to watch him do what he does and also get under the skin of so many players. Like, and people are talking about how like, he just, he, he, he stays within the lines enough that you're the one that ends up with the penalty. You know, you're the one that ends up cross-checking him in the face. Uh, and then you get, you get sent off for two minutes, but I, I love that intensity that he brings. And I think that people were worried that it's like, Oh, maybe he's aging or not. I don't think that he's aging out of that intensity. I really do think as time goes on, he's going to play less and less minutes or fewer and fewer minutes but this year he was injured and he was uninspired and I think and and they couldn't find somebody to bring out the best in him like Philippe Deno had I think that was a lot of things so it's exactly like you said if they can ice a competent power play or if they can give him the right chemistry line mates I think he will have a resurgence and if he scores 20 25 goals that's amazing yeah uh, Scott Matla our great friend says Gallagher being the shot generator is Gallagher being the shot generator that he is a safe fit for Shane Wright next season. Yes. Gallagher is a fantastic insulator. He's great defensively. He does all the hard work. And not that Shane Wright is afraid to do the hard work because he's one of those guys that does all the little things. But man, Brendan Gallagher and Shane Wright together has all the makings of a very, very good line. You just need someone else to slot in there with a little bit of playmaking talent. Jonathan Drouet. <laughs> I don't know. I'm. He's not gonna be here next season. Yeah, I'm I don't not think sure so. about Duran. Like, I think that the worst thing that could happen could have happened to Duran this year is missing time with injury. Because mm-hmm. under Ducharme, he was one of the only guys that was bringing it every night, and he just couldn't stay healthy. And it seemed like everyone forgot about it. And then he came back and was still hurt, and everyone was dogging on his effort. And it it just is not effort with him. That's not the issue. There's there's definitely some lack of defensive talent there or defensive awareness that's he's tried to work out of his game and has more or less had spurts where he's done it, but consistently not there. And just the way that he plays, he needs specific player types of players with him in order to produce. And the Canadians have consistently failed to give him those players. Maybe he could fit there, but. I feel like Druen is at his best on like a third line, all offense line that doesn't face tough match. I think you're very right on that because the kinds of players that he has the best chemistry with are also defensive black holes. (laughs) Yes. um, That's the thing. Max Domi, right? Him and Max Domi. They bring out the best in each other. (laughs) Offensively. But yeah, it's, it's, I feel like the thing is you can have a Jonathan Druin or a Mike Hoffman. You can't have both. Agreed. Right. Especially Agreed. on the Absolutely. same line. <laughs> and at the same <laughs> time, nightmare. yeah. And at the same time, you've also got Josh Anderson who, again, not great defensively. No. So it's kind of a similar situation to the Winnipeg Jets who like, yeah, Mark Shifley is great. Black hole defensively. Uh, Blake Wheeler. In his prime, great. 
black hole defensively. Kyle Connor, great black hole defensively when he was on the Jets. Patrick Liney, great black hole defensively. It's like, how many of those guys can you have before you suck? And the answer is probably like one or two. So <laughs> especially like for the Jets, those guys are mega talented. The guys that Canadians have that are in that same mold are not as talented. So you can have even less of them. And I think but none Josh of them Anderson, are cowards. Yes. <laughs> like Mark. Knifley. Yes. None of them will crush a guy in the head out of nowhere for an empty for no goal. reason. <laughs> the coward Sorry. Mark Shifley, Scott Matlin says that's yeah. his official name. I will say there's a couple of people in the chat, like F's in the chat for Josh Anderson's 20 goal season. We all thought he was going to get it. The poor guy. This is the fourth time he's been close and he's only made it one time. So he could have, he could have, if not for injury and COVID five 20 goal seasons right now. And he has one. It, it he sucks. I feel one. bad for him. He can get another one. He's still young. Oh yeah. He might he not do one. it here. <laughs> he might do it next year. Yeah. Honestly, I hope like, he does it here. I'm a big fan of his. I know he's a black hole defensively. And, and you know, I like those two way players, but I, I love, I, I love the exuberance with which he barrels at a goalie. Like I just enjoy watching him play so much. Um, I do hope that it's here. I hope that they don't trade him. Yeah, Although I, it would make sense to. I, I feel like there's, he's one of those guys that, I think that even with his contract, they could get value for him because he has that tantalizing size and speed combination that every team wants. But like they were talking on the TSN broadcast today. Uh, I forget if it was Mike Johnson or Dan Robertson who made the comparison to Chris Kreider. Like oh, maybe Josh Anderson can be the next Chris Kreider in terms of like having this out of nowhere 50 goal season after being about a 25 goal player. And I don't think so. Like, I like Josh Anderson as a player. I think he has his uses for sure. But Chris Kreider is a significantly smarter, more talented, all-tool player than Josh Anderson is. And I understand the comparison of, like, size and speed, 100%. But Chris Kreider is just he's so much better. <laughs> he's, he's so much better. He's got more hockey sense. And you know, yeah, 100%. And you know it pains me to say it because... In this so, in this market, we hate Chris Kreider. We do hate Chris Kreider for very many reasons. It's not just the Carey Price thing, but one of them is the Carey Price thing, obviously. But it's mostly I the Carey Price thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I have I have other off ice reasons for that. Um, but I, I really don't like Chris Kreider. But at the same time, you have to acknowledge that what he's done this season is remarkable. And the thing that I think sucks for him is that this year, like obviously the NHOs didn't go to the Olympics because in what other year is Chris Kreider even in that conversation, right? Yeah. Whereas Josh Anderson, in my mind, even though he's a good player, he's never going to be in that conversation. Like no, like he's not going to be on the long list. It's never going to happen. And that's fine. I love Josh Anderson. I really love what he brings to the team, but I think the Canadians, if they want to keep him, they need to create the perfect situation for him in which they bring out that strength. Because I do think he can get to that 20 goal score scoring season. He could do it next year. He could do it two years in a row. We don't know. All he has to do is stay healthy. That's the big thing. Like he would have done it last year. He would have done it this year. If he had stayed healthy. Now that's a big ask of any NHL or really, because it's tough to stay healthy in this league, but the Especially fact when is you play that physically. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And with that speed, right. One minor thing can go wrong when you're the bull in the China shop and you can go ass over tea kettle into the boards and 
that's it. <laughs> your season's over. So just stay healthy, Josh, and you'll get your 20 next year. Kind of sad that they couldn't get it for you tonight. I think he missed an open net in the final minute there, and he was like staring at the rafters. But, <laughs> you know, Cole Caulfield got his first career hat trick. So there's that. I feel like it's absolutely wild. I know we've already talked about Cole Caulfield, but I can't not go back. I can to never it. like not talk about Cole Caulfield. If you asked me to talk about him for eight hours, I would. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I love, I love that there's somebody this promising and this skilled on the Canadians. It truly is a joy to watch. And just watching him play hockey as if it's effortless is amazing. Like he, he just, he brings cheerfulness. He brings joy. And like he and Nick Suzuki in that chemistry. And I, I want to talk a little bit about Nick Suzuki because he has this intensity to him. That's gentle. I find it so weird. Like there's something about Nick Suzuki and the way that he plays is very graceful and it doesn't look like he's that intense, but the, but like you look at what he did on the ice. Like if you're watching a replay and all of that, like he's definitely, he's not like he shies away from physical contact or anything no, like that. He's just so smart about the way that he does things that he does minimal damage to himself on the way to scoring a goal, I think is, is, is probably, you know, it's, it's not reckless. Everything is calculated. Everything is smart. And I love watching that. It just like watching him create a play in his head as he's skating is such an amazing thing to watch and i'm so glad he's locked up for so long because i can't say enough good things about him personally for me the one thing the one question i have is that who's going to take some of those defensive minutes because right now he's taking them all and like just imagine if he had a little shane bit of backup. Wright. <laughs> it'll be shane right <laughs> we can't let, let's not count our chickens before they hatch is that the expression um yeah but that's the thing like if there's somebody else like splitting that load with him just imagine imagine how many points he can score yeah and that's something like i <laughs> i kind of laughed because there was a, a leafs fan who felt the need to get into my mentions tonight because i had said that caulfield i think it was when he scored two and i said that he'd been like superlative like there's not enough superlatives for him and it was like yeah just wait until next year when everyone on the ice tries to check him and it's like do you everyone on do the ice not, is already doing that yeah who else are they trying to cover this year literally just like, literally him and suzuki like. that's yeah that's the thing about everything that suzuki and caulfield are doing right now yeah sure it's happened in a lost season and the pressure to make the playoffs is not on but the whole season especially since marty st louis took over and like during that covid break they were the guys who were out there against top lines like they're the guys who are getting checked the most they're the guys who everyone's trying to shut down all the time they're still getting it done. And it's not like they haven't already done it in the playoffs. Like, <laughs> Suzuki has already proven his medal in the playoffs. Caulfield last year, his shooting percentage wasn't great in the playoffs, but overall his play, fantastic. He wasn't shying away from checks, you know? So the idea that next year, all of a sudden people are going to turn it on and try to check Cole Caulfield as if they weren't watching him like a hawk all of this year anyway. <laughs> like, who else is any great. coach game planning against on this team? Literally. Like, they're not sitting there going, how do I contain Rem Pitlick? Sorry, Rem Pitlick. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing is that, like, they're doing this and they're the primary scoring. And so if they get secondary scoring <laughs> and there's other people to worry about on the ice, like, you, you, you line match carefully and then you get, you know, you get the 40 goals that you're talking about from Cole Caulfield. Yep. A hundred percent. And you know, with Suzuki to me, 
the playoffs are a big indicator of how good he can be and how he's shown up every time, you know, uh, every round he's been great. But I think his step that he took offensively this year, I go back to it over and over again, was that Oilers game where he had where that goal he called off. Out? I was just about to talk about that. And he was and like, literally... I'm going to do the same fucking thing again. <laughs> exact same move. Literally and he scores. The same thing. It was so badass. I love that. Was that so was like good. Nick Suzuki. I am a fan of you specifically for a very <laughs> long time because of that. I just love that. And you know, seeing uh, Suzuki and Caulfield show their personality. You mentioned the friendships and and how that's something that fans grapple onto. I think of them very similarly to how I thought of Price and Subban when they were doing the triple low five, right? Yeah. So I don't think Marty St. Louis is going to come in tomorrow and stop them from being their, themselves. So no no worries on that front that uh, they'll be stopped from doing that. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good thing to look forward to. And if the Canadians do get Shane Wright next season and say Gallagher rebounds a little, I'm not going to say that they're going to be good because they have a long way to go, especially on defense. But in terms of offensive production, Suzuki and Caulfield now have a second line that also has to be checked. That makes them a lot more dangerous. It makes that 40-goal season a lot more doable or 82-game grind. So that, that's something that everyone who's criticizing them or thinking that they might not be able to repeat next year needs to realize that doing it all on your own is extra tough. It's why Max Pacioretty never scored in the playoffs, in the playoffs with the Montreal Canadiens. Because as soon as things flipped... And Thomas Placanich and his line were the shutdown line that never scored, which, you know, did their job. It worked. But the Canadians didn't have the depth beyond that to generate scoring. And everyone focused on Max Pacioretty. Got a series against the Boston Bruins. Guess what? When Max Pacioretty's out there, Chara and Bergeron are both out there almost right. all the time. And everyone's like, oh, why can't Max score? Cause. Because he's wearing Zdeno Chara as a backpack. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's why you need to have that depth and that's why you have situations where like when the penguins won and phil kessel's on the third line and leading the team in scoring yeah because he's phil freaking kessel and he's not having to play against the top players because they're all playing against malkin and crosby yeah <laughs> so or tampa that's, bay last that's year like, tampa bay's third line was like a first line on most teams last year and the year before right like that's how they win that's how the canadians will win if they do right they need depth and it's not just like, I talk a lot on, on our podcast about having a good quality bottom six. It's not just about that. It's about being able to actually put out talent. And you just, you literally just need more talent than the Canadians have right now. 100%. And for those who really want, I, there's a couple of comments on here saying they got to try for Bedard next year. They do 100%. And I agree. the fact is, here's the thing though, is there's no way in hell that they'll have the best lottery odds next season, unless my thing happens and Arizona gets kicked out of the draft lottery because there's just no chance they can be as bad as this next year. And as bad as they are this year where everything has gone wrong, Arizona's right there with them. And remember that they were bad on purpose. So they're going to be that bad next year. There's not really much that's going to change there. If anything, they're going to spend even less money. The Canadians, they just have too many things went wrong in ways that will rebound the following year. The goaltending, very unlikely to be that bad again. Even if Montembeau was the starter, it probably wouldn't be that bad again. You know, uh, the injuries, unlikely to be that bad again. 
they they had a record, right? Like the most yeah. man games lost in recorded history in the NHL. By a lot, actually. I believe after the last few games, they should be they might have beat that record by over a hundred man games. Wow. I thought it was Sorry. like twenty. <laughs> like, no, because I think I could be wrong, but I think the record going into this season was something like six hundred and twenty six. And they passed seven hundred last week. Wow. So that's insane. Yeah, they're missing a lot of players, and it, it's been a brutal year for that. You know, Gallagher should rebound. Caulfield playing a whole year. That's a lot of extra goals. Like, things will rebound for the Canadians, but the thing is, as much as they can't catch the Coyotes being that bad, I feel like all they need to do next year is get into that top five in terms of the draft, right? Get a decent chance, and I don't think next year in a more normal season, there will be as big of a spread between the playoff teams and the non-playoff teams that we've seen this year. Where like in the East, every playoff team has over a hundred points and everyone outside of the playoffs is just straight up garbage. <laughs> like I I think there's gonna be a more even spread next year. We'll see a more return to normalcy for the NHL. Hopefully we keep the scoring. But I think the Canadians can be decent next year and still have decent lottery odds. I think so too. I absolutely agree. And the thing is if they get Shane right this year, I know Connor Bedard is like the real prize, blah, blah, blah. But they say that every year is like next year's draft is better. Next year's draft is better. I think the Canadians really need a Victor Hedman type defenseman, like a bona fide, no questions asked defenseman, number one defenseman, not like two to seven, which is what they have. And then you hope Caden Gooley's good enough to be a number. One. No, like a true, you look at that guy and you're like, this guy is a number one defenseman and is going to be one of the best de- de- defensemen in the league. Like that's what the Canadians need. 100%. And they've needed that for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly, uh, I feel like Jeff Petrie did the best that he could in that role up until this year. And I mean, frankly, since uh, St. Louis took over, he's been great. I believe he ends the season. I don't know if he got any more points tonight after the first one, but he ends the season with at least 21 points in the last 30 games. That's not bad. That's not bad at that, all. That's a rebound. Like, that's a serious rebound, I think. But and I think I, that's that's where I am with like how good the Canadians can be next year. If they trade Jeff Petrie, they're not going to be very good. <laughs> like no matter how, how good their forwards are, they there's just not enough talent on defense for them to be good. They're so going to allow worried so about many the, the goals. <laughs> it's just it's going to be it's going to be a free for all. I really hope the goaltending rebounds a little bit. Um, but yeah, like the other thing about Jeff Petrie too is that you get rid of him. Like he's one of the only he's one of the few players that can transition. Right, right now the defensemen that they have are not transition players. They, I'm sorry, they're not. It's just it's it doesn't work. They can't they can't start the rush. They can't. Some you know, of the young kids maybe, there. but it's you, you can can't depend those. on like 20 year old defensemen to do it all for you, unless yeah. they're a superstar, which. Canadians don't. Exactly. Uh, there was a comment here. Uh, get to it. Lost it. Oh, uh, Leon. There was people talking about how they liked uh, Montemo, and I didn't know why. And Leon in the chat says because he's a rosy-cheeked muffin who gave it all that he had. It's true. <laughs> it I, I true. actually, I really like Montembeau, like from like his personality, right? Like anytime they had him uh, speak to the media, he's one of the few Francophone players. And most of the time it's the same thing for those of you who don't speak French, like the cliches are the same, right? You put them in front of the media, they say the same things, but Montembeau had thought out answers. Like it hasn't been beaten out of him yet. So like he would really be thoughtful and articulate and stuff like that. So I really liked the way that he saw the game. I felt really bad because he wasn't, 
you know, he, he had no help. He was in a really impossible situation. Like this market is also used to carry price. Um, and he, you know, he was put in this role where he was picked up off waivers because maybe he was going to play a couple of games behind Jake Allen. And then he became the starting goaltender. And it just, I, I just felt so bad. And then he was injured. He was playing through an injured wrist and all kinds of stuff. So he had a very bad luck season, but he was still the rosy cheeked muffin. What was it that he said? The rosy cheeked muffin. That... Muffin with rosy cheeks, I think. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And like, he just seems like a really likable guy from what the other players say about him as well. So I felt really bad for him, but I think, you know, I don't see him on this team next year. If, if Allen and Price are healthy, like he's probably not going to be here, but I thank him for what he did, right? Yeah, I. There's no reason to dislike him. Uh, he he didn't ask to be put in the situation to start more <laughs> games for the Montreal Canadiens than anyone else this year. Speaking of Price, though, I I have to say, uh, when Price came back from injury, we talked about goal support. You want goal support, Carrie? Here's some goal support. Have at it. <laughs> Ten for you to work with, but very very encouraging to see price play the way he did tonight uh florida you know it's easily lost in the fact that canes were piling up goals but florida had 39 shots they played a pretty decent game offensively uh they had an expected goals for 3.19 so price saved a full goal full goal more than expected which is the third time in five starts that he'd done that just so happened that the other two starts were very not good and he had trouble tracking the puck and looked like a guy who missed 74 games. But after all the speculation, Laura of him seeing the doctor in New York and hanging up his skates forever. Yeah. And possibly retiring. I think we can put that to bed. I think Carrie really wants to play. I don't really see a scenario that makes sense for them to trade him because the contract is ginormous and nobody can fit it in a flat cap world. And also I don't think he wants to leave. I think his family is settled here and he feels like he has unfinished business. Whether they can turn it around within his career is up for debate, but I don't know how you feel, Laura, but for me, as somebody who's watched Carey Price since 2007, when he, or yeah, I think it was 2007, maybe 2006 for the world juniors. I, would be very happy if he retired a Montreal Canadian and played out the rest of his contract. They don't need to worry too much about the salary cap as much as people think they need to during a rebuild. It doesn't matter. Jeff Molson's the only one who needs to care about that. I am very encouraged by the way he played tonight, not just in terms of making great saves, which he did several times and, you know, being controlled and in himself, the, reaction he had when he made that big windmill save on Ben Sherratt and the two of them were making <laughs> eyes at each other and the big <laughs> ear to ear grin. I was like, he's back. He's that's back. that's the okay. carry we all know and love. We want to see that. And I don't know. There's something like emotional about that, that Carrie could be back and the Canadians could be, like it's some sense of normalcy, you know. It, yeah, it's it's really nice, and I feel like as much as the ten goals were great, Caulfield's hat trick was great. You know, uh, Tyler Pitlick finally getting his goal after having his other one waved off is, was <laughs> great. Carey Price being happy was really fun to see. I agree. And let me ask you something. Okay, so this is just 
me, right? My feeling. When he came back a few games ago and he had that reception, after the post game, he said the words, it made me feel really wanted, right? That's one aspect of it. So there is definitely a feeling ego kind of thing at play. And he played abysmally against the Ottawa Senators. And they're the freaking Ottawa Senators. Like, what part of you would look at a game like that and be like, maybe there's something wrong with me. I need to see the doctor. Like, for me, like him just not being his regular self, I think he doesn't talk about it, but he takes a lot of pride in being in one in being one of the best of the game, right? Yeah. He takes a lot of pride in those insane saves that he can make, in those movements that he can do that are better than anybody else. He takes so much pride in his own game. And when he turned out a showing like that, would you not be concerned and be like, oh, maybe something's off because I'm not making those movements. I'm going to go see the doctor. And so, you know, Canadians fans never freak out about goaltending ever, right? Uh, or about anything. So we all handled that checkup really well. And maybe like it was just he needed that confidence to be like, it's, you know, it's in your head. You're fine. Right. That That's a theory I have. It's just something that I think it's just something that I was like, it probably wasn't his knee. It was probably up here. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely some moments where he looked like he was struggling in that second game that he struggled with for like getting up and down. But to me, the issue was not that in terms of what he was getting beat on. It was his puck tracking, right? Right. It was his timing. And those were very normal things to be off after a after 74 game absence. Like it just, it makes sense to, for him to not be at his best. But yeah, tonight was, uh, it was very different. You know, he, was he wasn't perfect, but yeah, he was great. <laughs> and I think that just having him around, having that stability there, I don't think that he's going to play 60 games next year by any stretch of the imagination. I think best case scenario, him and Allen can split it almost down the middle. Yeah. I think that's the best case for both of them. Keep them both healthy and give the Canadians some consistent goaltending. I, I'm just excited to see him back in the net on a more consistent basis. It's I'm saying consistent too much, but <laughs> It is the buzzword with goaltending, but that's it the is. thing. I think that I think the days of Carey Price playing sixty games have long been over, and they were still playing him sixty games past those days, right? So they finally wised up, and they're like, "Okay, we need a serv- serviceable enough backup so that you know they can play like thirty games, let's say twenty-eight games, whatever Jake Allen can play." And now it's just it's a matter of balancing it out properly for them next year to make sure that they both stay healthy, since now Jake Allen's had a nightmare injury season as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. It's going to be next season, I think, is still not going to be a good season. But there's going to be a lot more fun stuff to talk about. There'll be positives. Yes. I think it'll be a season where people have fun. It'll be more similar to, you know, uh, as much as I don't want to give them any credit whatsoever, uh, more similar to what the, the auto senators have been dealing with, right? Where you can see young players taking big roles and the fans are having fun, even though they're not very good. I think that's what we'll see more from the Montreal Canadians next year. I don't think that I will only get to do 22 wins. <laughs> and I think I actually missed a couple. I think Julian did a couple of wins. So I think I only got 20 wins out of the like 78 games that I did <laughs> for this show this year. But, you know, I'm kind of stretching Laura. Cause I'm not ready for this season to be over, <laughs> you know, I've been doing this now. It's 
I'm so it's used to it. Part of your it. day. It's a it seamless is part, part of, of my your day. day. And on the one hand, I'm kind of excited to have my evenings more off because I get to take some stress off of my wife, who's been, you know, an absolute uh, monster through this whole season where. On game nights, she has to most often do both kids' bedtimes and wash up, uh, like clean the house before going to bed. And it's like her whole evening just kind of sucks because it's I have to watch the game, then I have to do this, then I have to put it up as a podcast, then I go to bed, and she's already been in bed for an hour or more. So I'm excited to be able to do my part more <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for that. Also managing the other game overs that we've launched, which I hope you've all uh, you're all excited for with Game Over Toronto and Game Over Calgary. I know I'm excited. The people that we've brought in there, Rahef, Harnish, Armand, and then Adi and Peter in Calgary, they're fantastic. You know, uh, last night we debuted Calgary, and Adi's Wi-Fi just kicked the bucket like 12 minutes in, <laughs> oh, no. and then. Peter, like the absolute professional magician that he is, went on for 20 minutes straight by himself and wow. did a great show. So absolutely goat shit from Peter. <laughs> and they get to do a show together tonight where we fixed Audie's issues. So definitely check that out. Check out Game Over Toronto. Uh, Rahef did hers tonight. It's only about 30 minutes, so you can check it out. We told them all to keep it shorter than I do because I'm the one who's insane. But thank you for doing this with me, Laura, and coming on a bunch in the second half of the season. Of course. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in and making this show a success in an absolute dog shit season. <laughs> like, this is the worst case scenario to launch a show. So the fact that we're successful enough in a pilot project to launch more shows and have the confidence of Adam and Steve and Jesse behind us and we have amazing moderators like Robert and uh, people managing the social media like Robert and Yams and and all these people who are building something special together where we're able to elevate not just like our ideas but people who you wouldn't see on a normal broadcast you know and this has been something that's been a big part of what i wanted to do with game over montreal and i hope that i've succeeded and do even better next year is giving you fresh faces and fresh perspectives that you wouldn't have seen when you watch the game on tv or listen to it on the radio where you only get the the mainstream you know, the, the mainstream idea right and yeah. whether it's shreen Ahmed or or laura saba or noha bashir or nikolai cloutier like all these people who are either in something else and they come at it as a fan or in media, but they're not as high up yet to the point where they get to talk all the time on broadcasts. It's just, it's fun to be able to give these people a platform as well as have one myself that you are all supporting. So sorry if I'm being long winded here, but <laughs> I just, I don't understand. Like, I don't know how to put into words how much this season has meant to me, the people who've stuck with this show and watched it, even when the Canadians were losing seven to one every night, <laughs> it, it just means so much. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. And uh, especially to my guests, I would name them all if I could, but that would go another 25 minutes. There's so and many people. I just, can I just say one thing though? Yes. Um, 
not only is it great that you give people platforms, we're the ones who aren't getting the invites is the thing. Yes. That's that, you know, like whatever we're doing, whether, you know, it's alternative media, like we do a daily podcast, for example, we're the ones who aren't getting the mainstream invites. And we really appreciate you giving us a platform. But I want to shout out Robert, because I have been when I'm not a guest, I'm watching, and I can see how much Robert does. And it's it's like, I don't know if you get enough credit. I just want to shout you out like so much love here for that. Um, also, obviously, thank you so much, Andrew, for not just inviting me, but my co host and supporting our show as well. Yeah, 100%. Definitely follow Locked On Canadians. Subscribe to that on every podcast platform. That's where you can find Laura. I'll do the the where you can find even without letting you talk, Laura. (laughs) (laughs) Robert says, I love you, Laura. Time to sob. Yes, Robert is maybe up there with Jesse as the hardest workers in SDP. Agreed. He's, He's fantastic. So lots of love to everyone. And someone asked, renewed for season two? Absolutely. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> we're we're going to be back for season two, bigger and better than ever with new stuff. And there'll probably be more shows to debut. As well. We're not we're not uh, shrinking. I'll tell you that much. We ain't done yet. All right. Thank you again. Montreal Canadian season is over. We'll see you next. Most likely for the draft lottery. We'll do a show, a live show for that. But also we are going to do something in the summer with a skills coach who is extremely, extremely intelligent named Pat Malloy. He's going to come on and he's going to break down uh, how he would manage things like off-season preparation for players. We're going to look through different players in the Montreal Canadiens and what he thinks they could do to improve their game, little areas. Uh, he's big on improving hockey sense. That's his big thing. So we're going to talk about skills coaching with an actual NHL skills coach that in a way that you've never heard before. So that's going to be really exciting. That'll be a special episode at some point in the summer. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And uh, again, one last thank you. Uh, we will see you at the very latest on May 10th. <laughs>